I'm realizing I'm turning into a pretty big Stephen King fan, honestly. (laughs) Um, Join the club. uh, Yeah. So I just, I, yeah, the the losers club. To another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. I'm Cassidy Robinson. And I'm Keith Foster. Is that better? Yeah, I like that better. People don't need to know where we're from. Southwest and West Coast, respectively. I guess. <laughs> it's a weird way to put it, but sure. Oh, I was going to say the West Coast, and I remember that. Technically, not on the West Coast anymore, so I can't say that anymore. <laughs> I think uh, you can sit. But you're in the West. From the West. The best <laughs> in the West. I don't know. <laughs> Today we're going to be uh, talking about our top 10 and bottom five films of 2019. I know this is coming a little bit late, but uh, it took us a little while to see everything that was going to be released. A lot, of, a lot of stuff that was delayed release uh, until January anyway. So last week when we were uh, recording in person... We talked about the last few films that were coming out, major films that were coming out in the year, and now I feel confident in uh, the list that I've put together and that we will be discussing. Yes, I agree. I, I'm i glad we saw sort of our, caught up on sort of our wrap up. Um, we'll see if that makes a difference in mm. either of our lists. Yeah. Do you have any like curveballs? Anything that's going to surprise me? Um, I, I may any outright I don't know any outright <laughs> troll picks. No, no, nothing crazy. Um, I mean, <laughs> I had my last year turned out to be a pretty good year for movies, and and yeah. my honorable mention list actually ended up being as long as my actual list. So right. Um, I feel pretty good that I'm not throwing anything crazy at you. There might be some omissions that didn't mm-hmm. make it onto you know that that i'm not even gonna reference um maybe that's where the curve bar- ball is and is not in what i mentioned but what in i what you in don't. what i don't mention okay yeah. okay like, well i'll say this about 2019 my list ended up being a lot more varied than I thought it was going to be as far as like genre and, uh, you know, I mean, even format. Some of these movies uh, I only saw on Netflix and some of them I saw in, in the theater. Most of them I saw in the theater, but not all of them. Usually, and we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, usually I log everything I see after I see it. So I go home from the movie theater and I open up a Word document that I always have growing and I rank as I see. So if I only have one thing, the second film, I have to decide, is it better or worse than the one that's there? Um, and then so on and so oh, forth. Interesting. I just go like that throughout the year. So then by the end of the year, the ranking is, for the most part, 
uh, done. I'll often, as I'm doing it throughout the year, rearrange things as they, do they still hit me the same way? Do I still remember them the same way? But for the most part, the See, ranking I, is... I do it the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I mention it, I, I note it right after I see the movie in my phone. Yeah. And then, um, I, but I don't, I don't have them in any particular order. I'm just like, this is what stood out to me. Like, I just got out of the theater. Um, I'm noting this to, you know, sort of remember that and remember how I sort of felt coming out of the theater watching it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I go through and I just sort of pit them against each other. I'm like, okay, so, um, and then I just sort of a hodgepodge winner take all. Right. So for you, it's more kind of a this or that, or this versus that kind of approach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. trying to think of my list as a whole versus, versus uh, uh, I don't know. The way you do it is kind of weird to me. Because I feel like you have movies that never get pitted against each other, if that makes right. sense. So that'll happen sometimes, where like uh, towards the end of the year, I'll start to look at my my list of, you know, and I usually categorize things by like good, mediocre, and bad. And uh, I uh, will see stuff that's like at the bottom of the good list that like are films that I genuinely liked, but I'm just, you know, and then that's usually when I'll start shuffling and I'll be like, well, you know, did I really like that as much as I is it is where it's at right now? Like, am I thinking about it that much? Or if it's something that's down there, and I, you know, I'm like, well, that I mean, think of why I have it there, but I just feel in my stomach that it should be higher. <laughs> so then I'll just I'll shift it up just just to uh, satiate my stomach. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I just do that <clears throat> all at once. Yeah, which is all to say that this is completely arbitrary and meaningless. Yes, it, it, our list is just as valuable as the Oscars. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess we'll get started here with the with the top ten, and of course we're starting at uh, ten and working our way to number one. And I'll let you uh, start us off. What is your tenth favorite film of twenty nineteen? Oh, we we. You don't want to start with the Ani B. Minchies? Uh, no, we'll do that after. Oh, God, number 10. This one this is just barely squeaked in here, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, my number 10 is The Lighthouse by Robert Eggers. Okay. Uh, it just barely squeaked in, but the reason it did is because it was such a unique uh, cinematic experience. Um Part of it almost didn't make it in because of the aspect ratio. I'm like, well, it feels less cinematic. But then I was like, you know what? But no, it was it was sort of unlike anything else I saw in theaters this year. Right. Yeah, I I would think that that would actually make it feel more cinematic because it's it's bringing more attention to its cinema ness. Yeah, and that's ultimately why it made it on the list. Um, it's not, it's not an easy movie. It's kind of challenging. Um, uh, but yeah, ultimately I just couldn't sort of get it out of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it feels like the closest I'm going to get to seeing a David Lynch movie in theaters. Oh, you never know. They could, uh, 
he could end up releasing something else. Or, um, you know, there's always retrospective theaters that are showing his stuff around the clock. But, yes, I know what you mean. It yeah, is a surreal the, film I mean, experience. It's not the same. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, the number 10, The Lighthouse. All right, cool. Mine is a little bit different than that. My number 10 is the uh, Netflix original um, Eddie Murphy film, Dolomite Is My Name, which is an ensemble comedy that kind of took me by surprise. I knew it was good. People were saying it was good. And I I, I had, you know, some aspirations for it. But after seeing the film and just like thoroughly enjoying it all the way through, it's just a very joyful film experience. And I really... I really loved rooting for these actors, some of which we haven't seen in a film in a long time, some of which we haven't seen good in a film in a long time. Um, and also a uh, big fan of the director of the film as well. And so I was, I was happy to see him kind of come back after sort of being ignored for a while, having a hard time kind of uh, keeping his footing in the film industry. So uh, yeah, Dolomite Is My Name was a, a fun surprise this year. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, so this might be a little bit of a spoiler for my list, so I don't even know if I should say it. Um, I, I, I just, Netflix movies are great. Uh, there are some really good ones, um, but mm-hmm. they don't tend to stick with me as much. Mm. And I think it's because I'm not seeing it in a cinema. So it, the the like the Netflix movies that we watch, especially if it's like a streaming homework assignment, sure, um, it's it's just going to be sort of back of mind. Um, so ne- the like a Netflix original is gonna have to fight a lot harder to get into my list, if that makes sense. But Dolomite is my name is a great movie. Is a lot of fun. For all the reasons you described. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I definitely think it deserves to be in the top 10. And yeah. Um, and we talked a little bit about how, you know, it's kind of doing the Ed Wood slash uh, disaster artist plot only with uh, the film uh, Dolomite, the uh, black exploitation film. Um, but I think that's it's sort of a tried and true format to highlight a great diverse cast like this movie does. Totally. Uh, moving on, number nine for me is, I mean, the, the it was the biggest movie of the year. It's the biggest movie in the world. Uh, it's Avengers Endgame. Mm, um, okay. It, it, yeah, it, I mean, here's the thing. I There's a lot of, like, you know, auteur movies that came out this year. There were a lot of, of there were a lot of good movies that ended up coming out. A lot of... Uh, different stuff, a lot of stuff that didn't rely on franchises, which is nice. Um, but mm-hmm. I couldn't ignore the culmination of a 10-year movie-going experience. Uh, and ultimately, y- you know, it's not a perfect movie. It's definitely high in my personal list for the MCU. But, I, I you know, I don't know, okay. even know if it's my number one for the MCU. But ultimately... Uh, I just couldn't leave it out because it was the biggest movie of all time. Like, I, I can't ignore that. Uh, and it's it's fun. It's popcorn uh, movie at its best. Uh, and ultimately, it sticks the landing more than it doesn't. Uh, unlike other franchise ending 
culmination movies that have come out this year. Uh, I, I think this <laughs> or one, last year rather. Uh, fi- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this movie finesses it a little bit better, um, and so it I it had to to squeak onto my list. Yeah, you know, it didn't make mine. I think of the last two films to cap off the first huge wave of uh, MCU uh, films, you know, whatever you want to call the uh, the Thanos saga, if you will. Um, I preferred Infinity, uh, Infinity War. I thought that was the better movie of the two. I really liked Endgame. There's a lot of fun to be had in that film. Uh, I, I, I like the kind of let's go back and revisit all these different moments from the past films and from a, from a new angle. I thought it was a clever way to kind of acknowledge the legacy, the you know, the short-lived but still very relevant uh, legacy of the film franchise. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, the last 40 minutes is just a big war scene that uh, I thought could have done something a little bit more interesting than that. But yeah, I, I acknowledge a, the moment of the movie. A big, awesome war scene. <laughs> All right. My number nine is uh, Dr. Sleep. And I think this is probably my... If, if people are looking at my list, this would be the one that I feel the most people would be like, what? What the fuck? But I really fucking like this movie. I, you know... It it does the like horror fantasy action thing that is kind of a lost genre. I mean, I guess there's like you're seeing a little bit of that on TV with stuff like Stranger Things, um, which obviously owes a huge debt to Stephen King. Uh, but you know, it's a bit it's a big literary um, uh, genre, but we don't see that done very well on screen because it's just really really hard to balance character and mythology. In this, in the way that I think uh, Doctor Sleep does really, really well, and of course, if I would, I would say, you know, if you pulled ten people off the street and asked them, having not seen the film, um, their their thoughts on the idea of doing a sequel to The Shining, and I had been one of those ten people, I probably would have been the hardest to pass on on such an idea. But um, I think the fact that I went in. Uh, with my arms crossed a little bit, like, okay, prove yourself to me. Um, also kind of helped me uh, come to uh, really love this movie because I felt like it, it earned my respect and it also happened to be really fucking good and really entertaining. And that's what I want. That's what I want to underline the most. It's not like The Shining in the sense that it kind of gives you this like, you know, weird psychedelic high off the movie, like this, like, uh, you know, that Kubrickian cold uh, grand scope horror, but it it is a really great entertaining pop horror film. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. Um, also, you know, when I'm ranking my movies, you know, it's it, sometimes it's like what I think was genuinely the best movie. Mm-hmm. Other times, what I consider is you know just like what I enjoyed the most, even if it's not. The, you know, the cleanest or the best. Or the most important or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so I, I don't think that there's any problem with you putting this on your list. Um, okay, my number eight movie is uh, Booksmart. Uh, and Booksmart was almost eked out of my list by a few movies. Mm-hmm. Um but ultimately, it still made the cut because Booksmart was 
pretty much the only straightforward comedy that I like really saw and enjoyed this year. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to, I wanted that represented. Um, sure. Because I think comedy movies as a cinematic, you know, a, a theatrical experience are kind of is kind of becoming extinct um, because that budget isn't typically known to, you know, to make gazillions of dollars. Um, and so, you know, that type of movie is probably going to be uh, pitched as a series on Netflix instead sure. or just released directly to streaming or whatever. So um, I really enjoyed this movie because, I mean, it's a really good movie in its own right, uh-huh. um, but it also got a little bit of a bump for me um, just because it's a really funny um, really charming and just the type of movie that doesn't really get made anymore. Um, right. So I wanted to to give it that extra credit. Yeah. If you will. <laughs> uh, I, I see what I did there. Yeah, I did too. Um, Booksmart is my number eight as well. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So not only on the same list, but also ranked exactly in the same place. Uh no, I really, I really like this movie a lot. And not only do they not make this type of movie in the sense of like mid-budget comedies, but they don't really make teen movies that much anymore in this kind of way. Like the high school teen movie is sort of a mm-hmm. dying genre. And you're right, a lot of that's gone to TV. But I, I think this did it really well. And I really liked how they sort of, they, uh, Olivia Wilde, who directed the movie, um, I think I like how they they took this story of sort of the one crazy night last night to party high school movie uh, trope and use that as a way to examine, um, you know, female friend relationships Mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, this idea that, you know, who we define ourselves as in high school um, is often. Uh, limiting to our social experiences later on in life. And this, this movie kind of captures that, that little window of time between those two eras. Um, a big part of growing up, obviously. Uh, and, and I think one thing that's really interesting about this film is it also kind of, it makes light of, but also is pretty honest about the idea that sometimes uh, your, your peer to peer relationships at that age, when you know so very few people and you've had so very few experiences are borderline codependent. (laughs) Yeah. On, and honestly, the only thing really I had against this movie was it just kind of, I, and I think, I think the biggest problem with this movie was when it came out. Because when it came out, there wasn't a lot of good movies. Right. It was sort of an island. Then, yeah. And then so many good movies were coming out because of, like, you know, the fucking awards push. Right. um, That I sort of forgot about it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it on my list and I was like, oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, It almost kind of, I mean, some of the stuff from the earlier in the year almost feels like it was two years ago (laughs) or something like that. This this has been one of those really long years. Well, yeah. The last three have been um <laughs> right <laughs> but uh, uh we've aged a thousand years in the last three years <laughs> um okay uh so that was your number eight as well mm-hmm. uh my number seven is uh and this movie kind of sat weird with me when i first saw it saw it it's sort of like the lighthouse um but uh the more i've thought about it the more i i think i liked it 
then didn't. So my number seven is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, okay. And ultimately, like, I had some issues with the revisionist history when I watched it. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, the more I thought about it, the more I actually really liked and appreciated that choice um, and and appreciated the way it's set up. Uh, uh, I, bef- when I saw it, it sort of felt like a, a joke without a punchline. Mm-hmm. And then I just was thinking about what the punchline would have been. And, and ultimately, I just – I think I – enjoyed this movie even though it's a bit of a messy sprawl yeah um i still maintain that but uh yeah i i think that it was an interesting uh it was an interesting movie for tarantino it's it it, it, until the last 10 15 minutes it's pretty bloodless yeah um and and uh you know uh I think we, you know, we kind of talked about this when we reviewed it, but right. it's more of a straight-up comedy than he typically does. Uh, so I, I think I appreciated the choices a lot more in retrospect uh, than I did immediately after coming out of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I don't want to say too much about this movie right now, but I will say <laughs> I think it is an onion, um, and I think that uh, it's one of those yeah. movies that. Uh, I don't know if anybody can get the exact right interpretation of upon first viewing. I think it's like Jackie Brown in a lot of ways, which was sort of unappreciated at its time. I think it's one of those movies that the more time we're away from it and the more we kind of peel those layers down, um, we're going to get a more of a full view of everything that's really happening in that movie. Yeah. All right. My number seven is... Uh, da, 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 da. My number seven is Hustlers, which was uh, another great surprise this year. This is uh, a movie that I knew very, very little about. I, I saw the previews and I really like the, the kind of the concept of it. And I'm always interested in kind of non-family friendly, uh, big budget movie, movie star stuff, because that's sort of a thing they mm-hmm. don't do anymore. So whenever I, I see something that's a little bit edgier that's coming out on wide release, I'm always interested to see what people are up to. Um, and I really thought this one paid off a lot. Uh, we talked a lot about how, you know, sort of comparisons that you could make to films like to films like Boogie Nights or films like uh, Magic Mike that kind of talk about the sex industry as, you know, a place where somebody finds another family, but also, an, uh, also as it relates to uh, the American dream specifically um, pre and post the Great Recession. Uh, And I thought all of that stuff was handled really intelligently, as well as also paying off the goods of, of, you know, sort of a low-key heist film in a way. Uh, And also, I love the style of the movie. It's really uh, energetic, and there's lots of... um, uh, great cinematic camera work. Um, and of course, I can't, you know, talk about this movie without talking about the, uh, the wonderful turn from Jennifer Lopez, who steals yeah. the whole goddamn movie. And it's a great mm-hmm. vehicle for her. At, um, I, it feels shitty to say at this age, but, you know, there it is. Yeah. Uh, no, this, <laughs> it's funny. This is the, th- this and the lighthouse. I just kept going back and forth of which one would make my list. Mm-hmm. 
Um, uh, yeah, and ultimately, I think the lighthouse edged it out just because it was so crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and but um, but yeah, I, if if I had a number eleven, it would have been Hustlers. All right, interesting. Okay, uh, what is your number six? Uh, my number six is Uncut Gems. This movie is just. I think I felt this movie more than any other movie this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so intense. I mean, everything down from the direction to the scoring is masterful. Yeah. Uh, and a- Adam Sandler, career best performance. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just an intense thrill ride of a movie. Right. Yeah, I like couldn't shake this one for days after seeing it. Agreed. <laughs> uh, I don't want to go there just yet. Uh, but yes, I, I agree with all the, all of the things you just said. Uh, my number six film is Jojo Rabbit. and Oh, interesting. You know, if you had asked me right as I was coming out of the theater where this would land, I'm like, oh, this is going to be the best film of the year. Like, this is the one to beat for sure. Um, and there was a while where it was hanging up around the top three. And it eventually, you know, faded a little bit with time as far as if I'm just thinking about it in terms of ranking, which is a silly way to think about things. But um, anyway, uh, Jojo Rabbit is a really, really fun and funny and heartwarming and heartbreaking movie all at the same time. Uh, And I think, you know, one of the things that I that it got a lot of criticisms up for, it seems to be sort of a love hate movie, I've noticed, which surprises me Mm -hmm. because... In a way, it's sort of a crowd pleaser, but uh, and it wants to be a feel good movie. But I think that's sort of what people buck against a little bit. I think mm-hmm. the the tone of the movie, which is very whimsical and very light on its feet um, when it wants to be, um, is uh, throwing people off a little bit. Sort of the overt comedy of like the Taika Waititi playing a a wacky uh, imaginary friend Hitler. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what this this uh, strange combination of, you know, uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Dictator meets Calvin and Hobbes as through the lens of Wes Anderson, um, I think what that kind of underlines is sort of the absurdity of fascism. And I think that is the, the, uh, the subtext that its detractors are missing. Uh, and sort of how there is sort of a childlike mentality to the tenants of something as I don't like you because, you know, we don't look the same or we come from a different background. Um, and that he sort of uses this, this, the uh, coming of age, uh, narrative, uh, as a way to talk about how society as a whole has to grow past backward ways of thought. Uh, that's a take. It's an interpretation anyway. But I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I love the, all the performances in it. Uh, the child acting in particular is like fan-fucking-tastic. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just had so much fun and so many feelings uh, walking out of the theater <laughs> for this movie. Cool. Uh, that was your number six, right? That is mine. Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah, okay. So my number five is actually Dr. Sleep. Oh, um, wow. I thought I thought for sure I was going out on a limb putting that on my top ten. 
No, I loved this movie uh, for all the reasons you said. It's it's um, high fantasy. It's well, it's horror. It's mm-hmm. um, it, it, and I think of I don't know of a lot of the movies on my list. I think it has one of the most difficult tasks of being a true sequel to the uh, a book and a movie. Uh, that are legendary, uh, and manages to pull it off. Um, in, in way, and so whatever faults this movie has, I was able to look past them because mm-hmm. I just like was so thoroughly enjoying the moviness of it. Like, right. it 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 has this sort of thriller element to it that harkened me back to a day of like a Terminator Two almost. Sure. Um. And yeah, so I just enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Um, and again, you know, is it the most, you know, is it operating on all these different levels? Uh, in some ways, yeah, but in a lot of ways, you're just sort of seeing what you're getting. Um, but what you're getting is really, really good and really just something you don't see in theaters a lot. Yeah. Um, and it did it in a way without having to rely on sort of the budget breaking spectacle of Avengers. Sure. Um, but it still feels whole. It still feels big in that way that action fantasy should. Uh, and it's genuinely pretty fucking freaky at times. Mm-hmm. Um, like it, it, I don't feel like it skips on the horror. Um, it, and it deals with, you know, the it just. I'm realizing I'm pre- turning into a pretty big Stephen King fan, honestly. <laughs> um, Join the club, uh, yeah. So I just, I, yeah, the the losers club, uh, <laughs> yeah. Doctor Sleep number five, I loved it. Yeah, you know, there's something. I think the the reason why I had to give it to this movie and why I just was like, God damn it, that's just it has to be on my list. Even if even if it's pulpy or whatever, um, I was just so thoroughly transported by the movie. They're like the best thing I can say about a movie is that when I'm not thinking critically at all, and I don't mean critically in the sense mm-hmm. of looking for things to be annoyed by, but just when I'm not thinking about it, when I'm just yeah. totally sucked in, I'm like leaning forward in my seat and just letting the story flow into my face. That's when I know, totally, yeah. uh, and I haven't even thought about thinking at, about the fact that I'm in a movie theater when it's like 20 minutes have gone by and I'm like, holy shit, I am like so engrossed. That's exactly, when I know yeah. this movie's fucking working. Like I, I had to to pee in the middle of it and I was just like, didn't want to leave my seat, yeah. you know, and, and it wasn't that I was afraid I was going to miss like, you know, some plot or some story point. It was just that I was so sucked in. That I just didn't want to to come out of it. Yeah, I think um, this is like I, I, the best you can kind of do with you know quote unquote sort of geek friendly material. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say, if as much as you're liking Doctor Sleep, I I don't know if you're watching The Outsider on HBO right now. Um, but it's vibing for me in very similar ways. So okay. I, I recommend that it, it like, it sort of is taking me back to Dr. Sleep and it almost feels like 
sort of a, a, a serialized TV version of it that I'm really digging as well. Uh, so it's a good time to be a Stephen King fan. It sure is. All right. Uh, my number five is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. And, oh, you know, this is a movie that a lot of people has been talking about all year. It did very well at the Cannes Film Festival and then got a lot of uh, chatter from that point on into award season. And it's been both nominated, I think, for the best uh, foreign film and the best uh, film category, which doesn't happen a lot. I think the last time that happened was with uh, Michael Haneke's Love, um, or Amore, rather. Uh, but... Uh, this movie fucking earns it, and I I love Bong Joon Ho, and I think that his satirical edge and his way. What I'm noticing a lot in my list is a lot of the films that really stood out to me this year um, are doing these really delicate tonal balances, um, mm-hmm. and are yeah, and yeah. are uh, really shifting around with that. And there's a lot of films on here that are not comedies in quotes, uh, but have, that have, have a, a lot yeah, of comedy in it. A lot of comedic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or are comedies, in quotes, and have a lot of stuff that, you know, will uh, challenge that. Um, totally. And this is definitely one of those movies. Uh, I uh, I did my, I, I sent my top 10 to the to the Idaho State Journal already, and uh, I know it's kind of gross to quote myself, but I, on the last line of my, oh. Oh, the last dude. line I wrote okay. for my blurb here was, uh, this shocking film is brutally honest, brutally funny, and sometimes just brutal. Yeah, I, I it it takes wild turns. I hope you feel I hope you feel good with yourself. I do right now. I do. I love it. Ugh. It's my favorite thing. But <laughs> I, this movie takes wild turns, and it it's challenging. But it's also like it's kind of crazy the amount of people I know who've seen it, who responded to it, who aren't like an Asian extreme cinema type of person. Totally. Yeah. All right. Uh, number four for me, um, number four and number three are kind of, I think, companion pieces. Uh-huh. Um, and and I think you'll figure out why once you know what they are. But my number four is uh, Jordan Peele's Us. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, same as Get Out. This movie came out earlier in the year and just stuck with me. Um, the I just sort of couldn't let it go i i think it's more ambitious than get out mm-hmm. um and it harkens back to i think sort of a john carpenter horror era um that really vibes with me and it, i think visually speaking it's one of those movies i mean again there are so many good movies that came out this year but i think this is one that like you could parody this and immediately know what is being parodied just by like the red jumpsuit and the scissors. Like right. it's so yeah. visually recognizable. There are so many uh, sort of moments in this movie that that are that immediately just can pop into your mind. Yeah, or even like um, the 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 cages of rabbits or something like a lot of iconography of the funhouse and all sorts of stuff. Totally, and uh, also I'm including the music with that Mm -hmm. um the the using of uh um i can't think i don't i don't know who did the song but the i got five on it song oh i Um, I don't know but yes that 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 was very white of me (laughs) um but yeah it's just like the repurposing of that Mm -hmm. to 
to have this killer horror iconic score uh, again harken back to sort of an older uh, a bygone era of horror for me mm-hmm. um, that that just really worked. I liked it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> it's number four. Yeah, you know that didn't end up making my list. Um, and uh, but it is. Uh, it's I, I I need to see that movie again because it is, there is a lot going on in that one, and it's in in a ways I do think, and I've said this to people that I've talked to about the movie. I think that um, Get Out is maybe the cleaner, leaner, more efficient. Uh, horror yeah, comedy. Yeah, and I would I would agree with that, but I think it's it's also a more for a more focused uh, story, right? Whereas this one is attempting sort of this bigger world building, sure. Uh, and uh, I you know I think he did he was able to sort of replicate the um, George A. Romero like dawn of the dead crate uh the crazies vibe right without completely like rehashing yeah i mean it's movies it's very referential like, i mean even down to something like the movie chud which the movie like openly references in the movie yeah um, but yeah. yeah i i i think whereas get out was a popcorn horror film that had a lot of symbolism and a lot of metaphor um that you could enjoy Peripherally, I think this movie's kind of starting with symbolism and metaphor, and the popcorn stuff is more around the edges. Yeah, I I agree. Um, okay, cool. So, um, what, what number are we on? Uh, th- that was my number four, so I think it's your number four. All right. Uh, my number four is Uncut Gems. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. I think... This was one of the most visceral film experiences that I saw this year. And it's another one of those lean in the front of your seat, kind of sucks you in kind of things. And almost from the get-go, too. Like, this movie really sort of throws you in to the point where you almost, for the first five, ten minutes, have to sort of adjust to the film's style. Uh, oh, yeah. Because it's it's very busy, and there's, you know, we talked a lot about how, like, the the, the uh, Safi brothers are always doing something with the frame, or always doing something with the audio, whether it's the score or the uh, the mix when it comes to like the conversations that are happening, and the whole thing feels sort of documentary like and sort of uh, uh, verite. Um, but uh, it also becomes or uh, ends up becoming sort of this great New York thriller. Um, sort of in the tradition mm-hmm. of something like a, a Dog Day Afternoon or Panic in Needle Park or something like that. And, yeah, I mean, obviously a, a great performance from Adam Sandler, which shouldn't be as surprising to people as it is. Uh, he is capable of, of this. <laughs> um, and I I loved his work in this film. Uh, and I also, yeah, I mean, this was one of those ones that's just, it, it, it kind of, I love films that are sort of like building up to a moment. Or there's a boiling point, and this yeah. and this movie definitely has one of those, and it, yeah, I I I sort of felt in a daze walking out of the theater from this. Yeah, yeah, and and I I agree. Like I was sort of assaulted and, I mean, by the film in the best way possible. Yeah, and I I don't think this movie's for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I think this movie's great. All right, top three. 
Uh, okay, so I said this was kind of a companion piece with uh, Jordan Peele's Us, and I, I think it will be clear now. Um, my number three is Midsommar. Mm. Midsommar! Um, uh, <laughs> was that your Swedish accent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Midsommar. It's very good. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, it's sort of a companion because uh, obviously it's a follow-up to... Um, Hereditary, whereas Us was Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out. Yeah. And I think between Jordan Peele and Ari Aster, they're sort of rewriting the book of horror right now. Mm-hmm. Um, man, uh, this movie, I I saw it a lot later. I just barely saw it. Yeah. Um, In fact, actually. I thought it was, I'm very surprised that this movie was a on your list and so high on your list because you only responded in, in GIF. <laughs> um, That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I was speechless. It's fucking crazy. This movie is oh, batshit insane. Yes, definitely. Uh, but in the best way possible. I, I think... I mean, Ari Aster is a master at visual metaphor. And uh, just, I, I think he can make grief feel more real than most directors I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and visceral. Uh, on top of that, on top of uh, uh, having one of the most believably terrible relationships I've seen in film. Uh, it, it's psychologically disturbing as fuck um, without relying on jump scares and while almost entirely taking place in, in the brightest day shots possible. Right, idyllic uh, in the day most, shots. Yeah, in the most idyllic setting with flowers in fields and gorgeous blue skies and uh, using that to uh, just be absolutely fucking brutal and horrifying. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, man, I just, this movie is fucking bonkers. Uh, <laughs> and it feels so real too. Like it feels so believable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing I like about it is whereas, Hereditary, you, you, there's you know there's definitely a point of uh, supernatural interference yeah. and in that sort of elements taking place. This is like oh shit, d- like this stuff has to happen, right? You know, <laughs> nobody could just think of this kind of shit. Um, uh, yeah, so I just I in uh, Florence Pugh, goddamn, uh, she is so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, uh, this movie, uh, we watched it and we're all just speechless after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, this is my number three as well. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I reviewed this with Richard a long time ago uh, when you were away doing something. But uh, one one thing I didn't get to talk about in that review uh, is when I saw this film, uh, I saw it alone. And I was in the normal theater over here in Las Vegas that I normally go to, an AMC in a mall. Um, and uh, during the first big ritual scene, um, yeah, mm-hmm. like it's kind of a pivotal moment in the movie when things start to go dark. There was a big earthquake <laughs> that hit 
Um, Jesus. Right. <laughs> you know the one that we had earlier this year. It was it happened in California, yeah. but it was felt all the way down here in, in Las Vegas, which is very, very rare for this area. Um, but yeah, I was uh, all of a sudden when, you know, like the elderly couples like climbing up the mountain, the whole theater starts to shake and everybody oh, just Jesus. starts getting up to exit. And there's a few people I stay I stay seated for a little bit. I think I might have been like half standing up. Like, are we leaving? Like, what is this? Like, how real is this right now? Um, and then it stopped, and everybody kind of slowly returned back to their seats. But yeah, I had like the five D experience at this movie. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so did they? Did the movie just keep playing? Yeah. Like they didn't. Yeah, like okay. I thought they were gonna, you know, eventually turn it off and ask everybody to leave, but they didn't. Um, I mean, in the movie theater, you're probably pretty safe during an earthquake, right? Like, there's not gonna be shelves and stuff falling on you. Well, uh, like, it, this particular theater is like on the upper floor of like a of a wraparound outdoor mall thing. Sure, so, sure. I mean, but I mean, but I don't know. But that's like. That that would have to be a, a earthquake so bad that it's like, like affecting the structural right. integrity of devastating. Like yeah. uh, and being yeah, so like, and having lived in California for five years, I was a little bit less freaked out than I think some people were. But but know. anyway, I but yeah, no, that that's got to be <laughs> fucking crazy. That had to be intense. Uh, yeah, this and uh, another thing, Ari Aster mm-hmm. is a master at. Uh, I, I don't know who his cinematographer is, right? Um, but of setting up a shot and lingering on the shot long enough, it feels longer than normal cuts, right? In in a normal movie, I feel like those cut a little faster. Yeah, it's just long enough to where you notice all the weird shit in the background, right? But not so long that you start to get bored with it. Um, like during the drug trip scenes, right. like the, the perfect example, I had to lean over and go, is that fucking flower breathing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it, there's just so much hidden in every shot. Did you see, uh, I don't know, it was on Twitter a long time ago, but you may maybe didn't see it or were, were purposely trying not to see stuff like that. But um, there was a shot that I didn't notice in the movie till I saw this online. But there's a shot when they're carrying her um, during the last big ritual. They're carrying her, and then in background, the the trees uh, morph into the face of her dead sister with the hose in her mouth. Jesus. Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> and I'll say this about the movie. Um, whatever you think, you know, some people, this is in sort of another love-hate kind of thing. Um, and I, I saw this movie twice in theaters. I loved it so much. Um I mean, this oh is so god. right up my alley. Oh my god! No, I just, I just literally had to Google that yeah. to see what you were talking about. That is fucking like that's <laughs> giving me the fucking creeps right now. <laughs> right, like, right. Um, but whatever you say about like the you know the the oh. sort of Wicker Manish um, folk horror tropes that it's uh, playing with. Um, and it is one of those kind of stories, or in a way, it's kind of like a a sort of retelling of sort of the hostile uh, Americans in a foreign country not respecting their land trope. Um, mm-hmm. But that first uh, prologue to the film, oh, in and of yeah. itself, is like perfect little mini film within the film. 
And, it is. It, 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 and I think that sets the it, tone for everything else. And, and because of that, the film is allowed to get absurd. It's allowed to be very funny. I think this is much funnier than Hereditary. Um, and on purpose, yeah. there's, there's these, you know, completely absurd parts that are uh, laugh out loud funny. And then, you know, uh, at a switch, you'll see something totally fucked up and disturbing. Um, yeah. So again, yeah. another very tonally tricky movie that it, I think it, it pulls off. And Florence Pugh is holding the whole thing together with that with that performance because she's so interior and so emotional. And you know, through a lot of the movie, she's playing well, it, high, so she's literally just expressing her inner self throughout the majority of the movie. Yeah, and <laughs> and uh, we were watching it with a friend, and mm-hmm. during the initial, uh, the first time they take uh, acid, yeah. And she starts to have a bad trip. Uh, he's just like, "Yeah, that tracks." And she like runs off uh, on her own. And right. Just very upset. He's like, "Yeah, no, that that's fucking awful." <laughs> um. Yeah. No. This it was so good. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Number two. Okay. Yeah. No. So, uh, my number two was Parasite. Oh. Okay. Um, cool. And and um again for everything you mentioned. Um, I think it's so cool how this movie has found such a wide American audience mm-hmm. um, that there's already talks about doing an American remake. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> whatever. But to me, this is probably the movie on this list that that was the most effective at what it had to say. Yes. Uh, it, it just no holds barred, completely... I mean, there's a sequence in the film uh, in particular stood out to me was during the rainstorm uh-huh. uh, that tells you exactly what this movie's about, where you see the, you know, the the rich family and they're just wa- falling asleep and, and the kid is out in the, the teepee and then it cuts to the other characters wading through a river of shit. Yeah. Um, and it just cuts back and forth to, to those experiences that, and I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know. I, he is, he is delivering. It, it was so clear, but not in an insulting way, uh-huh. not in a, uh, overly expository, uh, like this movie's about class struggle, you know? Right. <laughs> um, but it was just so affecting and and beautifully done. Yeah. And so I think that's why and and the ending of this movie is shocking as shit. Right. Uh to, I mean talk about tonal shifts. I mean this one is like laugh out loud caper comedy mm-hmm. up until the point when it's a horror movie. Right. Up until the point where it's a family drama. It's in like this movie is pulling off a lot of tonal shifts, yes. and uh, but in in ways that I don't think betray the film. No, um, no. it's in ways that that are beyond genre trappings. Um, I think I think this movie is absolutely brilliant uh, and and just stunning. Yes, absolutely, uh, and it also looks great too. Like the the, the iconography yeah. of the house. Or, and the apartment and sort of um, how he frames shots or who he puts in the frame. And it, yeah, it's it's just a very, very smart, subtle and uh, bold filmmaking at the same time. Also, uh, 
I had absolutely no idea where this movie was going. Right. Like it, uh, it was completely unpredictable, but not in not in a bad, messy way, but in a way that I was just like, oh my god, like what is going to happen next? You know, a lot of times I can figure out an ending to a movie or whatever, and that's not saying that I'm clever or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I usually still enjoy the ride. Um, if it if they're hitting all those tropes just right, it's a different sort of form of satisfaction. Um, but this movie, I was like, I had no fucking clue. I just and and that is riveting when a movie is just completely unpredictable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, my number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And oh, okay. This is one. This is another one that really kind of like lingered with me for a long time, and I kept thinking about certain scenes or certain conversations or certain performances or, you know, different set pieces in the film. And Tarantino talks about how he wants to finish at 10 films and he still has like, I guess one more to go. Right. Um, I don't know. There's, there's so many versions of his count. Right. Yeah. 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 uh, Some people it's, if you count kill bill as one movie and then, uh, some people count like Death Proof as a half movie, right. and like just yeah. We'll, I mean, we'll see he what can... he ends up landing on. But I, uh, yeah. I in a way, I kind of feel like this is this sort of encompasses all of his work. Um, this, mm-hmm. uh, this I feel like kind of does with his body of work what I think Martin Scorsese was going for with The Irishman. Um, sure, I it feels very reflective it feels very interior it's a it's a it's a lot more um sort of contemplative and and i and i think you know he dissecting hollywood in the late 60s and talking about the entertainment industry as a whole um through these characters uh played by uh, uh brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio but in a way i kind of feel like he's thinking about his his own legacy um, and I think that it, a lot of what we, a lot of the diatribes that we hear from from Leonardo DiCaprio, even though you know Tarantino's never really had like a lot of flops or a lot of like uh, hard times since being successful, I feel like there's there is this kind of this sense of a filmmaker thinking about you know how is he going to be remembered and where does he fit in the grander scheme of things. I think there's a tenderness to this movie that a lot of people miss. And whether you're looking yeah, at well, the, I think the relationship. I think in, in regards to that, I think there's a tenderness that people weren't expecting. And people, I think maybe a, a lot of audience maybe didn't want right. from a Tarantino movie. Right. You know, I think, I think there's a certain amount of... Uh, there's a certain type of Tarantino fan mm-hmm. that definitely is there for sort of the the quippy dialogue, the record drops, and the bloodlust. Right. Um, and this this movie has those things, but in a very deconstructed way. Um, and it's certainly not especially push, the bloodlust. Right. And it's certainly not pushed front and center of of yes. the entire project. Yeah. And I think you know it is this sort of meta musing. On you know the industry as a whole, and then yeah, his body of work, and then his interest in the '60s and all of this stuff. That I maybe you maybe this is a Tarantino film for Tarantino super fans in a way. 
But I really responded to this movie a lot. And I think that for me, it's one of his strongest since, you know, the days of Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. Um, especially if you sort of like him for the deconstruction stuff. Okay. I think I've, I think I've figured out what your number one is. <laughs> uh, I've been trying to, I've been trying to piece it together. Okay. Um, cause I'm, uh, it's definitely the Joker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Um, okay. So my number one, my number one, uh, is Jojo rabbit. Oh, okay. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I I mean, like you said, our lists weren't too far apart, mm-hmm. um, just sort of the order. But, I mean, I think this movie made me feel more in in a movie than I've felt in a long time. Like, it just, it, I ran the gamut of emotions. Um, I think it, it, it hits my particular sensibility so well. Um, uh, I... I I'm a big fan of uh, absurdism, uh, surreal absurdism when it's done right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and when it has such a tongue-in-cheek sort of humor about it. I think that uh, Taika Waititi has uh, picking up the mantle left by uh, Terry Gilliam's best work. Mm, um, okay. Uh, but in, a, in sort of a more poppy way Uh um like you said kind of by way of wes anderson um and i just i don't know i just really connected with this movie emotionally probably more than any of the other movies uh that i watched uh i just sort of felt it and let myself feel it Uh um and the 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 tone of the movie is such that it allows you to sort of let your guard down because it is so playful and 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 fun and funny and and I get I do get why some people can't look at that subject matter and laugh mm-hmm. um I get that but at the same time to me it's like well you have to laugh uh, if you don't laugh you, you, laughing gives you your power back kind of right um and i think it's a, a lot of these movies are horrifyingly relevant uh, right uh in in the days we live in um this i don't think is any exception to that um it's just uh i don't know it, it to me it was just the most touching um and genuinely you know very funny too like when I was laughing, I was laughing out loud. Um, I this movie made me cry. Like I, I don't think a movie has made me like actually cry in a decade. Uh, it just, I felt everything. It was great. Um, yeah, and like you said, uh, uh, with the child actors in particular, um, so fucking charming. Yeah, <laughs> and adorable. Uh, yeah. This is just, to me, this was just a really beautiful, fun little movie. Yes, I I concur. All right. My number one is Jonas Brothers Chasing Happiness. Okay. I'm joking. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, I know. It's because I already stole your Joker joke. Yeah, that's right. Um, No, my number one is Marriage Story. Uh, 
Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking a. Okay. Um, I was. I'm surprised. No, you're surprised. I, 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 I was like, oh, it has to be the lighthouse. I had it pegged. You would think. You would think. Uh, no, I think this is uh, this is masterclass filmmaking, and um, this is one probably more so than any other movie I saw this year that I kept. And I guess, you know, this is when I'm ranking and I'm thinking of things that are going to be in the top 10 or top five or whatever. I'm often thinking about what movies stayed in my mind the longest. And this one has not left me. Uh, it's so affecting and it's so detailed. And it's, it tells the story of, of a divorce. And we've seen, you know, things like Kramer and Kramer versus Kramer, what have you, uh, before, and it has a little bit of sort of a a uh, courtroom drama esque uh, situation happening, but it's so much more than that. And I think that it, it the way that it sort of deconstructs the relationship um, of these two characters and finds uh, you know mutual admiration and mutual respect in a moment of a relationship that's at its worst. Um, it's one of the most optimistic films Noah Baumbach's ever made. Uh, and I think that it's, it's one of his most emotionally healthy films. And I, and yeah, and I think that, it, you know, if you're looking at all the different characters uh, in the film and all the different performances in the film, specifically Adam driver and, and Scarlett Johansson, who, who are fantastic, but even, you know, Laura Dern, who is, I think a sure win for that, for that supporting actress role. I really, really hope. Um, and she's, you know, fantastic in the movie as the divorce lawyer. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I just love the elegance and the uh, sensitivity of this screenplay and the uh, cinematic interpretation of it. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I, I think that's a solid answer. Uh, I just, I was very surprised. I don't know why. I don't know why. Uh, it just caught me off guard. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, I was I was also pleasantly surprised by that movie, especially after immediately watching and not particularly caring for uh, kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, why did we do the Noah bum back to back? <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, for our listeners, you can uh, go back if you haven't heard our Noah bum back to back two parter. Right, um, go check it out. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, is it honorable mentions time? Yeah, well, let's do some honorable mentions. I'll let you go first. Okay, um, I'm not going to talk about it because you just did, but uh, Marriage Story was definitely on my honorable mentions. I think it just suffered the sort of Netflix handicap for me. Um, like, it, you know, it maybe... I there were a few of these that sort of kept popping in and out of my list, mm-hmm. um, and it might even change as of tomorrow. Sure, so who knows? I had Hustlers, Hustlers, again, like I said, just kept going back and forth between it and the Lighthouse. Um, so damn good, uh, J Lo. Mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, um, Ford v Ferrari and Dolomite is my name. Uh, we're both sort of tied because they're they're both movies with a well-known sort of structure Mm -hmm. that were done really well. Right. Um, uh, Knives Out and Ready or Not were 
like companion pieces to me. Um, I loved both of them, mm-hmm. and had the other not existed, a, either one could have uh, possibly been in my top ten. Uh, they have sort of a Voldemort Harry Potter relationship. Neither can live while the other survives or something sure or a highlander (laughs) sure um yeah i'm gonna give dc uh in general honorable mention for sort of the best turnaround uh this year with shazam and joker um i know i was making fun of joker and i generally sort of hate the uh sort of audience that the joker is attracted but um just where dc is a, a sort of production studio has come from like justice league and batman v superman uh i think both of those movies were noteworthy ad astra was some fun sci-fi business uh and huge honorable mention to a rocket man oh okay so you Um, did end up seeing that i didn't i actually saw it on an airplane um on a flight and uh i think it it is sort of I think it's unfortunate it came out this year and not the year that Bohemian Rhapsody came out. Right. Um because I think it's just sort of been swallowed by all the other great movies that came out, but um I wanted to particularly give this one a shout out because I didn't get to review it, but I think it did a lot of really cool things with the biopic formula that you don't normally see mm-hmm. um and and I I loved the fact that they just straight up made it a fucking musical. It was just sort of a switch in my brain that was like, oh, yeah. Like, why aren't they literally all like this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I I really enjoyed Rocketman. I did, too. That's on my honorable mentions, uh, as well as Knives Out, uh, Little Women, Shazam, um, Ready or Not, The Lighthouse, um, and, you know, I'll say this, the, the lighthouse, uh, suffers from not being the witch mostly. Um, that's for me, that was, uh, uh, okay. which isn't to say that like, it's a terrible film or, or whatever. I really did like it a lot. And I, I, I thought about that one a lot and I, I do want to revisit it. And I think that it's, it's, uh, an interesting film in a lot of ways, uh, but I also think that there's it didn't immediately satisfy me in the same way, and it didn't feel as focused um, when it comes to its uh, use of metaphor or theme as as the witch did. But I I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Um, uh, hold on, my phone just went back to regular screen. Okay, uh, Toy Story four I liked a lot. Um, oh yeah, I forgot that was. Yeah, I, know. I forgot that even happened. Right, <laughs> us is on my honorable mentions. Uh, Joker is on my honorable mentions as well. And like you, yes, I think the movie is fine, but it's it's everything that exists around the movie as far as it's yeah. <laughs> you know the its release, the press, the audience. Um, it sucks for that movie that all of this other stuff exists around it yeah and and it's it's not as good as everyone in that realm wants it to be no but it's also not as bad or as reprehensible that's true as everybody the other the other side wants it to be either and it i think it is cinematically 
doing some really interesting stuff. And I think that Joaquin Phoenix is really good in the movie, but it just, and I do think that the, it does have some stuff on its mind and it's trying to be a real movie. And I, and I, I give it props for that more than anything is there's, you know, there's so many like kind of action blockbuster whatevers that are, you know, cool while you're there, like say something like a Hobbs and Shaw or whatever, where, while you're sitting there and shoveling the popcorn in your face, it's fine, but it doesn't mean a goddamn thing five minutes later. I do think Joker achieves something more than that, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's, I think maybe time will be friendly to it. Um, and then I have also Ad Astra, uh, very interesting contemplative sci-fi movie, um, and 1917. Yeah, yeah. I will say 1917 was probably the best war movie of the year. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit would also count as oh, a war movie yeah. as well. Yeah, um, but it's it, that's true. It takes place during a war, but it's not a movie about, I don't know. Fuck right, that right, last right. comment. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, cinematically, uh, 1917 is really cool, so I do think it deserves a, an honorable mention for that but um yeah. ultimately it left me not feeling a whole lot um yeah i mean like i said this was a it turned into a really good year for movies and it started so slow yes uh which uh that will parlay well into going into our bottom five i mean i have to talk a ton about these but uh yeah what uh what didn't work for you this year uh, I'm going to start with my dishonorable mention, uh, Men in Black International. Okay. Um, this movie wasn't bad enough to be the worst, mm-hmm. um, but it, I think it could. It's frustrating because I think it could have been decent. Like it could have been. It, it had all the elements there. It just couldn't put them together right. Right. Um. And and. There were just so many missed opportunities, so many things that afterwards uh, we were like, ah, they should have done this instead of that, um, you know. So it just, yeah, not not bad enough to be bad, but it just uh, was frustrating because I think that franchise has potential, and I think getting away from uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith was a smart move. I just think that the movie itself wasn't good enough to to open that world up, right? And it it it's a bummer because I think there's there could be a lot more to do with that. Um, so that's my dishonorable mention. Okay. Um. All right. Uh. My number five is uh, Velvet Buzz Buzzsaw. Yep. Um. Really did not care for that movie. <laughs> uh. It's not scary it's not interesting most of it feels like it's sort of self-parody uh yeah i would agree with you there it's um and for me it it stings a little bit more because it was made by uh uh dan gilroy who also did nightcrawler with jake gyllenhaal which was such a good movie and then this is such a huge step down yeah, um, such a, I I think a boring turd. Uh, <laughs> um, it's it's got some cool visuals to it, but uh, not much else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
All right. Um, my number five is actually Men in Black International. Um, for all the reasons, oh, okay. For all the reasons that you said, and the only reason, like, sure, something like a a Velvet Buzzsaw is probably a worse movie, but this uh, this movie is uh, you know commits the worst sin of being boring and ordinary. It yeah. takes absolutely no risks. Um, it you know it has every opportunity in the world to to do whatever it really wants to do and redefine this cinematic universe however it wants to, and pretty much just leans on the iconography from the past films and uh, the worst elements of its sequel story problems. Um, yeah, it was just yeah. kind of convoluted and messy and not character-oriented and pretty much forgettable in every way. My number four bottom of 2019 uh, was Captive State. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if you remember this one. Whew, yeah, um, I do. I mean, yeah, I don't. Uh, it, this one... I don't, but I, re- I, I remember there yeah. was a movie called Captive State that we watched. <laughs> this this gave me such movie blue balls, um, because, like, the, uh, the cold open is pretty fucking cool, mm-hmm. and then it is... So boring and dumb after that. Yeah. <laughs> it is like Captive State is what the audience is feeling, <laughs> uh, being forced to watch it. It's just like, again, okay, that was meaner than necessary. It's not the worst movie, it's just really boring. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever ideas this movie had, the script is not interested in. It's like, felt like there was kind of a cool mythology somewhere beneath the surface but the movie is just sort of so plotting yeah and uh uh unrelenting in unnecessary espionage it, it was like a sci-fi writer was trying to write like a uh uh top political thriller um, as well, in in sort of like the vein of how like Game of Thrones is of high fantasy, but it's also very like political, and and it feels like it's trying to achieve something along those lines, and just doesn't, just falls flat on just about every level. Hmm. All right, uh, my number four worst film of 2019 is the Hellboy remake, um, and uh, I mean. <laughs> It's here's the thing. It's a bad movie. I didn't like it, and I recommend people see it to see oh, why okay. some movies can be so bad. There's things about it that are like mildly interesting. There's some shots that are interesting. There's some like sequences that work, but largely it's just a complete misguided uh, reinterpretation of the character, and the tone is way off. It's bratty and obnoxious in a way that it doesn't have to be. Um, it feels kind of low grade and annoying most of the time. And it's just kind of an ugly, stupid movie. Yeah. I think that sums it up. (laughs) Uh, my number three is glass, which when I saw it, I wanted to like this movie. Yeah, I remember we sort of like disagreed a little on this one. Yeah, I tried to like this movie, and just the more I thought about it, the more this one sort of rotted in my craw. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it got stuck in my craw and then rotted a little bit. Okay. Like, it just 
the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I actually think the first two acts are all right, mm-hmm. um, but it all falls apart in the third act. And the more I think about it, the more disappointing it was and just like how cool it could have been. Um, but instead, you know, they M. Night Shyamalan has one of his most interesting and best characters literally die in a mud puddle. Like <laughs> It's and that's sort of a perfect metaphor for this movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was saying that, wh- here's here's what I'll say about that film. What. M. Night Shyamalan has been trying to achieve with something like Glass or Split. Split's much better than this, but... Um, oh, yes, yeah. But you know what? I still it, enjoy Split. It, like Even going back as yeah. far as A Lady in the Water, you know, that, that kind of like combination of action, fantasy, horror, action, um, I think is, is exactly why Dr. Sleep works so well. And if you look at this film, Glass, uh, in comparison to Doctor Sleep and see how they're trying to achieve some similar genre goals, um, you'll mm-hmm. see the difference in approach and uh, execution. You know, I didn't think about that, but maybe that's maybe that's why, like, one of the... Th- like, you know, because we've had so many movies that sort of defy genre and defy tone and 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 this movie is trying to do that so hard yeah um you know so after a year of seeing people pull that off better uh maybe that's why it just sort of uh in reflection for me was kind of a dud right um the third worst movie for me uh in 2019 was the comedy in inverted commas uh stuber um, oh, God, I didn't even see that one. <laughs> you know, I probably wouldn't have, but I kind of laughed at the trailer a little bit. I like the people in it, Kamal Nanjiani and and, uh, and uh, Dave Bautista. And I thought the idea of like mm-hmm. a like a buddy cop kind of thing between the two or an odd couple sort of situation might You know work. what's crazy? What, you know, Before you go into this, you know what's crazy? What? Speaking of Bautista, that movie, My Spy, still hasn't come out. The one where he's like guarding a little girl. Yeah, I, I thought that came and went. No, I thought that came it out around the same out. time as Stuber because I was seeing the trailers around the same time. Yeah. Whew. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. It comes out in like two weeks or some bullshit. Oh, uh, it, I, I, it got dumped. I wonder if they pushed it. Yeah, I wonder if they maybe because of Stuber. I don't yeah, know. I was just like because Stuber did not receive a lot of great uh, praise, and they looked basically the same similar setup um yeah so you know i don't i don't super remember a lot from this movie i know the, the basic premise is he's an uber driver who has to drive around a cop that uh just recently had lasik surgery and can't see um comedy supposed to ensue it doesn't really the jokes are so telegraphed and i wish that the both the director and the screenplay had more faith in these very funny people who are in the movie and let them drive this literally um, instead yeah. of, uh, instead of just giving them these ham fisted one liners all throughout the movie that feel so rote and tired. Uh, it was just bad. And it was one of those movies that just got worse as it went on. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty exhausted from the trailer, so I, I was okay missing that one. You didn't miss anything. Okay. Uh, my number two worst movie of 2019 was X-Men Dark Phoenix. Oh, wow. Okay. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, they should have just gone out with Logan. Like, I this movie <laughs> is was not good. This is bad. This is a bad movie. Um, I just this movie was frustrating to me on on every level. Uh, uh like that. It's just a a. Okay, first of all, stop making Phoenix X Men movies. They don't work. <laughs> They're not good. They just they don't work. Uh, in, in I, I didn't hate uh X Men Apo- uh, Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not my favorite, but I think it has enough redeeming moments that it works. This is like this is sort of the opposite ratio of that. Right. There's some moments that are okay, um, but overall it's more bad than good, and it, it and I think it. It suffers from a pretty tired script, a pretty tired cast, yeah. um, and just not good direction. I think is the biggest overall thing. Like the the it was. It's not a good move to to have someone's first feature be something that you're expecting to be kind of a tentpole movie. Like right. you just didn't know how to make the action land and in a franchise like X-Men that's kind of a big deal. Um, cause this, this, you know, the X-Men movie scripts can be kind of hit or miss, but as long as you're getting at least some decent action or spectacle out of it, uh, I'm a l- little more forgiving. Whereas in this case, it's like a not good script with not good action equals just a not good movie. Yeah, pretty much. Um, well, here's the thing, though. When I saw it, I didn't hate it as much. I thought that it was mediocre and uh, kind of bland. And certainly, yes, the direction is the, uh, the the key problem to a lot of it because the performances are super flat and it's just visually not very um, exciting to look at. But I, there were some story I mean, I ideas say, I that I thought were... I still don't think it's the worst X-Men movie. No. I, There's still worse X-Men movies. Yeah, it didn't... Aff- Fend me in the way that I know some X-Men movies can. Um, and then I thought there was some story ideas that were mildly interesting, but ultimately not paid off. So to me, that that landed in my mediocre heap. Um, but yeah, very forgettable overall. Okay, uh, we're on number two on that. Yeah. Uh, my number mm-hmm. two is Captive State. And I literally can't say why I dislike this movie because I don't remember this goddamn movie. <laughs> like I, I That's know it. it's it's John Goodman was in it, I think, uh-huh. and Machine Gun Kelly like had like two good scenes. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and there's something about giant mech robots, maybe there no, might have been aliens. They were aliens. This there movie, were aliens. This, okay, <laughs> this movie is a fugue state, and I, think- I just don't. Rem- I mean, I remember going to the movie. I think I lost my phone in the theater and had to drive back and find it. I remember that more than actually seeing the fucking movie. I might as well have not seen the movie. I would get more out of reading a synopsis of the movie right now than just trying to recollect actually seeing it. And that's, that's all I can say about it. I mean, you're not wrong on any (laughs) account. It's just, it's just such a bland, boring movie. Um, okay, my number one bottom of 2019 was Hellboy. 
I fucking hated oh, this okay. movie. I fucking hated this movie so much. Um, it doesn't help that Hellboy is one of my favorite comic books of all time. Uh, he's mm-hmm. one of my favorite comic book characters, and this is just an ugly, dumb version of that. Uh, right. th- this is taking you know source material that's really good, picking what are the best parts because of years of developing character and story material uh, and just sort of putting it all in a blender and blending it till it's a gross bloody mess that says fuck unnecessary amounts of time in ways that break the movie. Uh, I, I maintain Hellboy doesn't need to be hard R uh, I didn't get anything from the excessive orgy of violence uh, uh-huh. or the endless barrage of swear words that are only existing to be offensive, to be edgy. This is right. such a fucking edgelord tryhard movie, and it's gross and not good. And there's nothing redeemable about this movie uh, mm. for and me. some regrettable CGI as well. Yeah, I mean uh, not for nothing, but which sucks because I like the people involved. Uh, I like mm-hmm. David Harbour. I I like Neil Marshall. I like him as a director generally, um, mm-hmm. but it just didn't work. It just it didn't have. I mean, the the Guillermo del Toro Hellboys are very different uh, in tone, and it's okay to to try to do something different. But this movie didn't try hard enough to distinguish from that. It was like picking up a lot of the visual language of those movies, but then just making it muddy and dumb and making them say fuck. It was like, well, what if Guillermo del Toro's movies, he said fuck a lot and it was super gory and he like rips a giant's taint out with a sword. (laughs) Like it feels like a junior high kid wrote this i like yeah i i I don't think people should watch it because i don't want people to think hellboy's dumb and bad (laughs) well yeah certainly go see the guillermo del toro movies first um or read the goddamn comic books which in my mind is still the most most pure version of hellboy you're gonna get i mean i love Mm -hmm. the guillermo del toro movies i love his take on it but it's still not the comics um and that and and in this day and age in fucking 2020 when we have Avengers Endgame, you, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for not getting the tone right, for not yeah. for not spending the time and and doing the due diligence to make sure you're not that you're still getting what makes the character the character. Like Marvel mm-hmm. cracked that code. I don't know why people are still struggling. With these comic books. Yeah, movies. the movie does kind of have that pre-MCU um, misguided, like... But, but like a pre-MCU direct-to-DVD. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, my... Uh, the worst film I saw this year was a little film called After. Do you know anything about this? No. So, uh, we read box this, actually, or a uh, friend of the podcast Ashley um, uh, rented this and we, we kind of watched it together uh, and this is a film that is based on a fan fiction that somebody wrote that reimagines Twilight 
but instead of uh, Bella and Edward, it's some random girl and Harry Styles from One Direction. Oh my god, I <laughs> have to see this. this. Now, of course, they weren't able to call him Harry Styles because they didn't have likeness rights or anything like that. So Wait, was he played by... Harry Styles? No, no. Oh! So, inst- so instead, it's just some random musician-ish person um, who they changed the name of, and I think they had to change a lot from the original fan fiction, obviously, or that the fan fiction maybe was developed into a novel later, and then they she made those changes. I don't know exactly. I remember writing about this actually back when I was uh, in the film entertainment journalism world um, when this was in development, but. Uh, yeah, then I ended up seeing this movie sort of uh, by accident. And it's as bad as you think all of those things I just said would be. The, what, but maybe good maybe good inside of like a party, make fun of it while you watch it sort of way. So maybe it does have redeeming value in that sense. But in no way is this a, a legitimate film. <laughs> awesome. I <laughs> feel like I have to see this now. <laughs> oh my god uh, yeah the- i i just googled it and <laughs> god damn this i oh man i love okay this is some weird ed- editorializing i'm about to do but i Go fucking love twilight's legacy of <laughs> like like twilight was tween hard garbage right uh right but but you know it had its audience and it got it found its audience and it got them involved and there's some there's some redeemable qualities to twilight it got you know younger kids interested in reading um uh you, you know it has a uh definitively female audience which i think is you know that's nice that that mm-hmm. that is getting some love at the movies and stuff um i love twilight is such a sort of like try and cash in on sort of the same mentality as Harry Potter. And then you get a spinoff of it. That's fucking uh-huh. 50 shades of gray, which is obvious trash uh, that even fans will recognize. Right. It's like, yeah, this is trash, but I fucking love it. Cause it gets me horned up. And then it's like gotten <laughs> now to where we've got this like twilight knockoff fan fiction which I mean, Fifty Shades was kind of Twilight fan fiction, but like, I sort of love that. <laughs> like, just you just a- love watching this amoeba grow in the petri dish. Yeah, and I mean, it's not hurting anybody. Like, I didn't even no. hear this movie came out, so there's no reason. No, this to movie's be very by avoidable. It. Yeah, this movie's very yeah, avoidable. So, like, the only reason it's at the bottom of my list is that it's it's objectively terrible then there's oh sure i'm sure it is and i'm not debating that i'm just saying like i i sort of love that uh it's it's sort of given this weird outlet for delivering budgets to basically trumped up fan fiction like I think that's kind of fun <laughs> that you know you're just a, you're just a horny teenager and you can write a, a short novel or, or a short story right for your fucking creative writing class and who knows you might get a a small budget to turn that into a movie like that's fucking great yeah I love it I okay. I think that somewhere underneath that 
there is going to be someone who channels that horniness into something cool. We'll see. Eventually. Eventually. Okay, so uh, I want to. Uh, my uh, dishonorable mentions are not very many, but I have a couple here. Uh, I also have Velvet Buzzsaw in mine. Um, the Pet Cemetery remake was a big bummer to me. Mm. Um, th- some cool stuff about it, but uh, it really drops the ball in a big way. Uh, the movie The Kitchen, which was like that Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss, uh, 70s. Uh, crime movie oh, yeah. was that was like probably the biggest disappointment as far as what I expected and what I got. Um, and uh, sorry, not sorry, the uh, Guy Ritchie Aladdin movie. Oh, interesting. All right, <laughs> I didn't. Was that this year? Yeah, that huh. was like the beginning of the summer. I mean, The Lion King almost made it into mine, so. It it, yeah. al- it almost got a dishonorable mention for me. Um, I don't know. I I oh, God, I forgot. Why did both of those movies come out this? What? Uh, Dumbo came out this year too. What the fuck? <laughs> you just cracked well, my brain. Well, last year we keep saying this year. We are now in twenty twenty. Well, yeah. and yeah, and uh, we're going to be kicking off the new year next week with new reviews of new films and we're going to stop talking about films from 2019 so uh yeah i hope everybody enjoyed that that was a long episode and there was a lot of technical difficulties getting it out but uh i also wanted to announce that um our streaming homework for next week and i believe this is available on hulu it might be on netflix as well uh but we're going to be talking about the documentary hail satan and if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies we talked about on uh, this episode, we did get a, a, a movie survey from our listeners about their favorite films of 2019. We're going to have to cover that next week. But um, if anybody has anything more to say, you can uh, email us at the mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mcguffinpod. You can read uh, my writings that I do weekly at the Idaho State Journal at the Idaho State Journal's uh, Arts and Entertainment page under the news section. And you can also see some stuff that I've uh, written for the MacGuffin's uh, website at mcguff.in slash author slash Cassidy, where you'll also see the archives of this podcast and the other articles by the MacGuffin staff. And hopefully into 2020, we'll have some of those staff on the podcast. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at VC Cassidy, and you can follow me on Instagram now at VC Cassidy as well. Uh, Keith, what about you? You can follow me on, uh, uh, Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. If I reach 800 followers, I will eat something totally normal and not weird at all, but spicy. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Check out my website, www.keithfosterkid.com, even though I haven't updated it in forever. Um, and I think that's it for now. Okay. Cool. That's the episode. No quotes. No, no end bits. <laughs>